Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. This week is Baby Loss Awareness Week, a week that I was blissfully unaware of until I became one of those parents who had experienced baby loss myself, when suddenly I found myself immersed into a world in which people understood the unique feelings and emotions that avalanche into your life when you lose a child. It's five years now since my son Willem was stillborn, and because of what I do, I often meet people at different stages of the grieving process. I was talking to a friend whose little girl died nearly a year ago this week, and she asked me how I got to the stage where I've accepted the fact that I've got two children who I care for every day and one who is alive in my memory, a stage where I can talk about my youngest without welling up, where his presence and absence is a fact rather than a shock. And on reflection, I think a large part of that adjustment was fueled by those around me, by friends, family, work acquaintances, women that I've taught on the bump class and people I've met through social media who morphed into a support network, each offering unique perspectives, ideas, loving texts, shoulders to cry on and parties to dance at. Without them, I wouldn't be who I am today. Through my work with Tommies, I'm supporting the efforts to reduce baby loss. But until that's at zero, there will still be families who face the unthinkable. So I want to talk about how we as a society, as the family, friends, work colleagues, passerby on the street, midwife at the hospital, can best support grieving parents because we all know someone. So with me today, I've got Jennifer Reed, who together with her husband, Chris, founded Teddy's Wish after their son, Eddie, died from sudden infant death syndrome, formerly known as a cot death, in 2014 when he was just three months old. The charity focuses on funding research into the causes of, of SID, but also into neonatal death and stillbirth, and also supports grieving families. I've also got Jenny Thomas, who is a leading authority in grief support and education. She's a bereavement counsellor who founded Child Bereavement UK, and her career has been focused on how we can best support parents who are facing the loss of a child. Thank you both so much. It feels really special that I've got the two of you in the same room today, and we're talking about what, until very recently, was a really taboo subject, the idea that, you know, babies... I mean, I certainly felt that when Willem died, that this massive thing had happened and that I couldn't talk about it. Um, and it happens to so many people, doesn't it? It mm. does. And really, until you're in that world, you don't realise mm. quite how many people are affected. Mm. Jenny, you've obviously worked in this um, in this space for you know a long time now. Um, when did you start supporting grieving parents? Oh, I've worked in it for longer than I care to mention. <laughs> I watched Call the Midwife and I, I recognise lots of the times in the 60s. I started nursing in the 60s 
When we didn't acknowledge babies that had died, we weren't allowed to even tell parents what their baby was, whether it's a boy or a girl. It was thought to just encourage people to get on, get pregnant again, don't dwell on it. Um, there was Esther Ranson did a marvellous programme on A Little Life, I think she called it, where she interviewed people all over the country that had no idea where their baby had been buried if it had been stillborn because you weren't allowed to get involved at all. So that's how much things have changed. So it's really exciting to be here today. And so there was, you were specifically not allowed. It wasn't that people didn't bother that they took that decision that it was better. It was against the rules to... It it was something you weren't encouraged. I mean, we certainly were not encouraged and the consultants did not like it if you stepped on toes that were, you know, not what was your role you know it was definitely something that was thought to be unhelpful for parents they certainly weren't didn't see their baby they certainly didn't hold it um it wasn't part and i worked in a busy um maternity and special care baby unit so we had and in those days lots of babies died you know we didn't have all the amniocentesis we didn't have all the testing so lots of little babies we we thalidomide times Mm. you know so it was very very different to how it is today and it's exciting that it's that it's different you know I'm so pleased because one of the ways I'm sure you know this from your own experience one of the ways that we manage grief is by believing that it's true what's happened and then by feeling the feelings that we feel about it and then expressing them. And you can't do that if you're not even allowed to have it as a, as a loss. And it's a very, very big loss, the loss of a baby. I've learned things like people who experience the loss of a baby love that baby every bit as much as they love their living children. Most people out there in the world don't really realize that. They think, well, it was a baby that died, but they... That's why they're sad. But they're sad because they love that baby with everything that's possible in having, you know, mother or father love. When I found that when when Willem died, I felt very alone. I felt Mm. like I, I didn't know anyone else who'd had a stillborn child. And I felt that I was alone in my grief, even though I did have the support of sort of friends and family. And this kind of conversation is something that I think I would have really welcomed at the time. I know they were happening, but I didn't know where to access them. I didn't have anyone who said, listen to this, watch this, read this. Um, I sort of had to work it out for yourself. I mean, after Eddie died, I'm presuming you felt a similar thing. Yeah, I think, um, as we know, grief is such an isolating process and losing a child even more so it goes completely against the natural order of life. And I just felt, I felt very lonely, very isolated. And I was just desperate to find someone that could, that that had gone through something similar, that was experiencing the same level and depth of pain that I was. And I think friends and family, you know, they're so well-intentioned, but they weren't going through that loss. So I was, I mean, I think I was just Googling. I was Googling if I could find people that had lost a child. I just, I didn't know anyone. And so I was desperately, I was, I was actually getting in touch with my friends to say, do you know someone or do you know anyone that has lost a child? And can you just put me in touch? Because I just need to speak to someone. 
I just need to speak to someone and who understands. Someone? And I did. I got. Ve- I was very. It's so hard to say we, to say that I felt lucky because when you've lost a child, you're not. You don't ever really feel lucky. We've lost a child, but I did feel very fortunate that we had just moved into our family home. Um, we'd just been there for six weeks before Eddie died. And one of my neighbors who lived further up the road from us had experienced a stillbirth uh, four years before I lost Eddie. And although our losses were different, we had both still lost a child. I just say it's a different shade of gray, actually. Um, And she became a huge support for me, not only because she knew what it was like to lose a child, but because she was further along in her grief journey, she actually gave me hope. And I think that is so important for bereaved parents because we need to give parents support because they have to be given hope to live their lives again. Mm. So she represented hope for me. Mm. So, but I know it's, it's very hard to find that support. I think yeah. especially with SIDS because SIDS numbers have decreased over the years, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. But you know still around 200 babies still die unexpectedly each year and that's 200 babies too many so it meant that the community was a lot smaller for me to get in touch with people who had experienced the loss of a child under the same circumstances as eddie yeah and which is a good thing obviously but also a bad thing when it comes to support The, the thing actually i was thinking that you spoke about just a minute ago was about the loneliness and the thing i've learned is that Actually, even if you have support, it is the loneliest thing in the world because only you know what that baby was for you and your partner, only they know. So it's, even if you're close to people and you have a loving relationship, you are very lonely. Grief is very lonely and it depends on all your life experiences. Everything that's happened to you in your own life will affect how... You are in your grief. You don't just get it as a new sheet. You come into grief with everything that's ever been your life experience. And so you're unique. And the love you feel for that baby or that child is unique. And I think that's... Often people say, oh, I'm so lonely. I've got family, but I don't understand why I'm so lonely. It's a natural. It's natural to be lonely. And just to accept that, I don't mean it unkindly but just to realize that that's what grief is like it's really really lonely and you probably know that it gets less lonely it gets you are able to somehow bring the child into you and carry it with you I I had a lovely lovely example of this I'll very briefly tell you a mother told me that after her baby died, she looked in her, his things all the time um, and would cry and smell his little romper that he wore and felt destroyed by it all. And then some years later, I think it was two years later, I was invited to a christening of her next baby. And I was really pleased to be there. And I said to her quietly at the end of the christening, you know, how are you really? And she said to me, do you know I'm really, really much different? I'm much better, Jenny. And I said, in what way? And she said, well, you know, I used to smell all his little things. I went to do that the other day because I realized I'd rather left him out because I was so busy with this christening and I felt a bit guilty. So I opened the packet with the little blue romper and I smelt and there was no smell there. 
And I just thought, no, there isn't, because I've smelt him all into me. Mm. There's nothing else that I need to do for him. He's part of me. And I won't ever forget him. And I don't have to grieve all the time and not get on with my life. He'll come with me, whatever I do. And I loved that. I, I really found that very uplifting. I thought it was a nice feeling that that's what we do. And that she came to that conclusion on her own. Oh, yes. Because she could never be told that that would happen and believe it. I think at the time, you're right, you know, being around people who are a few years on from you is something that is so powerful. I remember speaking, speaking to a girl who'd actually been on the antenatal class I teach who'd had a stillbirth and she called me from the hospital. I remember waking up on a Saturday morning and getting a text from her saying, I don't, I don't know how to tell you this, but my baby is stillborn. And I remember thinking, I've got to call her, but what? can I say to her I can't make anything better and I remember in the end I I just said to her listen what you're feeling now is the worst you're ever going to feel because you're never going to get any worse news than your baby's dead but you've got that news and everything from now on is going to be a little bit easier so please don't spend time worrying about how you're going to cope because actually you're already through that worst part and she said to me a few months later she said that was so helpful because I didn't really I hadn't really looked at it like that and it felt so empowering knowing that the worst was over and that's not to say that there aren't going to be dark times and and difficult things of course but actually it's true you know Mm. the worst is that moment when those words are uttered and you learn that Mm. terrible news Some people feel they can feel quite strong afterwards because they feel like, well, nothing can be that bad again and I've survived. I mean, I don't mean that in a crass way, but, you know, I think that's a helpful thing to remember. The other thing I was just thinking when we were talking about baby loss, something I feel quite strongly about is sometimes people um, have a baby that's got something very wrong with it and they know in pregnancy that it's going to it's going to be a problem but they just keep hoping and keep hoping but eventually might make a decision with the doctors not to continue the pregnancy don't underestimate how enormous that is you know it's absolutely enormous having to make any sort of decisions over a baby that you want and love And if a baby has got problems and is born with problems, it doesn't mean parents don't love it every bit as much. I think we need to be much more open to just asking people about their baby, asking, you know, um, how how it is, how how are you getting on, what's it like? And funnily enough, even a a lady said to me recently, I so liked coming to see you, Jenny, because you asked me about my birth. Because when you have a baby that dies or when you have a baby that's got a lot wrong with it, people don't ask you about the birth because they think that'll upset you and they don't want you to be upset. And just asking people about, well, what was your pregnancy? How was your pregnancy? You know, how many weeks did you get to? Tell me about your birth. You know, even simple little things. Did you have stitches? We all, I know because I've had children and we all talk about our births all all our lives and it feels so hard that if your baby dies you get robbed of that as well Mm. because people don't ask you. I don't know if that happened to you or whether you were ever asked about your birth. I think I was, and I did spoke. Um, I, my birth was, I ended up having a crash C-section and being in hospital for quite a long time. So actually, for my husband, that was sort of the bigger thing because he got a call when he was in Canada saying, it looks like your baby might be dead, but we don't know if Marina is going to survive. And he had to get onto a flight and didn't know what 
the news was going to be when he landed. And I remember when he came and saw me in the hospital and he said, I'm just so relieved you're okay. Mm. And actually that was, I was grieving for our son because I was unaware of how serious, exactly. Mm. Yeah. Um, whereas for him, he, that sort of grief was almost, um, obliterated by the fact that he was just relieved that I was going to live mm-hmm. um but so it did become a big thing but I tell you one of the things I, I I definitely struggled with and I think people do find really difficult is telling other people how do you break that news because I think one of the hardest thing for me was bumping into people who thought I had a baby and then having to break them this awful news I remember walking up to drop my daughter at nursery and one of the women said oh do you have your baby and this was about two months afterwards. And I said, uh, um, he died. And then she burst into tears and I found myself consoling her, even though it's my baby that had died. Mm. It, and and that, those conversations got me so anxious. If I was starting a conversation and I could see they didn't know what had happened and I was going to have to essentially ruin their day by telling them. How did you tell people because obviously they need to know but it's such a difficult thing. I mean, you can't was, put it on Instagram. No, it was so hard. I um. Gosh, I mean, I remember feeling so anxious, I think because, and also Eddie was our only child. It was actually really hard to see people mm. who had seen me maybe the week before with Eddie. And they would say, well, where's, where's your baby? And I'd have to say that he, he died. And, and I think you're right. We get so nervous about other people's reactions to our news. And actually, this is our grief. And we shouldn't have to, I don't know why, but we always, we, I think it's just society, it's a society thing, isn't it? We just worry about other people's yeah. reaction or hope they're okay. Yeah. And actually, in, when we set up the charity, we felt that in a way, the charity provided a language for us to talk about baby loss and to talk about Eddie. Because as soon as we said, Eddie died, but we've set up a charity and this is what we're doing everyone's faces just lit up and they say, oh gosh, thank God you're doing something positive in Eddie. And it sort of, I know it sounds silly to say this now because actually we shouldn't be even worrying about what other people think, but it made us have a conversation about Eddie and it made it easier for us to speak about Eddie once we said that we'd set up a charity. Um, But I, you know, it's, it's so hard. And I think, you know, I remember a conversation in the GP surgery when I was having these blood tests, it was a month after I'd lost Eddie. And I, she was asking me the questions like, what do you do? And, you know, the sort of, the, you know, the general questions, how's your day? And I just thought, I know she's going to ask me, do I have any children? She said to me, do you have any children? And I said, I had a baby boy called Eddie, but he died. And he was only three months old. And she said to me, oh, don't worry, you're young enough, you'll get pregnant again. Mm. And these are the sort of things you just don't want to, I mean, I was just, Oh, it just made my grief so... It was just... I was in such a state. And then she she went on to say something like, oh, you know, these children who are in war zones, who are older, they die. And, you know, and sort of started comparing my loss to that. And I just left that GP surgery in floods of tears. I was just so upset. And I just think, you know, people don't realize sometimes what they say and the impact that can have on a bereaved parent. You they know, try to make it better. Oh, gosh. And you of can, course, you, you can, can't make it better. No, you can get pregnant coming. was the most awful mm. thing to hear, as if mm. Eddie could just be replaced. Mm. And, oh, don't worry, you can just have another one. Mm. I mean, it was just awful. I think it's so easy to get hurt in those early days, aren't they? It's almost like you're raw with grief on the outside as well. And I remember feeling, you know, getting really upset, even if I got like a 
traffic tickets you know that that would just break me mm. and, um and i th- found what was really helpful i remember actually having a conversation in the park outside my house with this this neighbor of mine who who was doing i think my 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 husband's mother had just died and she said gosh you know when it it rains it really pours she said I remember you know I just had a baby and then my father died and I had a newborn to look after and I sort of looked at her and thought I mean to me but as she said that I could see in her eyes that she was like oh my god what's coming out of my mouth (laughs) and actually I sort of remember going away thinking I feel really sorry for her and I thought I'm going to take the decision not to be offended by that because she didn't mean to Mm -hmm. offend me Mm -hmm. she thought she was helping with me and 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 sometimes the wrong thing does come out of your mouth and I do think what helped was that realization that I will be offended if offense is meant but actually I'm not going to waste that emotion Mm -hmm. on getting upset about it if they just said the wrong thing and didn't mean it yeah or just for I I always think I've had to do it a few times in my life to say oh I'm so sorry Mm. I didn't mean to Mm. sound like that or I you know I I I said something before I thought Mm. you know just uh, I'm so sorry and most people that I've said that to have said oh it's all right we can see you care you know they'll be very forgiving whereas you don't feel terribly forgiving if nobody acknowledges that they've Mm. just said something that's quite hurtful I think what you said though earlier when we were talking about what people might that are listening to this program might want to be getting is what do you say what do you do how can we help people and mostly it's just acknowledging acknowledging that you know that this very sad thing has happened and just saying I've heard that your baby you you had a baby and it died and um, you know how are you you don't really necessarily say I'm sorry because it's not your baby it you know you're you know it's just how are you and tell me just tell me about how you are and was it a little boy or a little girl and quite often grannies and grandpas ask you know what do you do and I would always remember a child that's been born in the family and has died and always make sure that you acknowledge an anniversary you know birthdays due dates all those days are so precious aren't they I mean Mm. I only know this because I've heard I've been doing this work for so many years and I've heard from so many parents who say, oh, it was so lovely. I got this little message on the doorstep and I had no idea my friend had remembered and, or my mother-in-law was so kind, she just popped a voucher in and said, spoil yourself today. I know it's a difficult day. I, what, a, what a helpful thing to do. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I think my biggest fear was that Eddie would be forgotten because he was only here for three months. I was so terrified that people would just forget about him and wouldn't want to talk about him. And I think we've all said this before. I think we all want to hear our baby's name. Hmm. It's so important because it means that our baby did exist and they're acknowledged. And, it's re- and I think bereaved parents love to hear their baby's names. I think it's so important. 
And so, I mean, I don't know with you, Marina, if you felt that too, but... Yes, definitely. It was it was the fifth anniversaries of, of, of Willem's death and, and birth this year, and only a handful of friends remembered. But those that did, God, that made such a difference. Mm-hmm. But I remember I was really upset on the day, and I was trying to like articulate to my sisters, who I'm really close to, and I just said you forget the things that don't matter and he mattered so much and that's why that anniversary and acknowledging that it was his birthday that it is his birthday was really really important to me but you know you're right I have a handful of friends who just send a text message and just say I'm thinking of you today it's only little it doesn't have to be big Mm. exactly and even in the early days of my grief I remember the best text messages were because you know grief is so up and down one day you could be feeling like you could you can handle today and then other days you can't but I just remember a text message coming through saying I hope you're having a manageable day today and that just felt that to me was the best text message that I could get and and the thing is I think people I think friends can be so well-meaning and they have such good intentions and they want to try and fix you I think mm-hmm. that's the thing about in those especially in those early days they just they're so desperate to fix you and it can't be fixed you know we've had our our babies died and actually the best thing that our friends and family can do is just to be there and to listen that's all we don't need solutions because actually the only solution we want is to have our baby back and they can't do that I think what you need is love too yes be surrounded by love because you are so exposed you know love doesn't fix everything but my god it helps you when life gets tough and just kindness and I remember experiencing kindness from those in my immediate family and very very close to me but also from really unexpected sources and that made a big difference you know I had been teaching the bump class for two or three years and so many girls wrote to me who I didn't I know that well but I had supported them in their pregnancies and that really really helped them taking the time and effort I remember one girl emailed me saying in a weird way all our babies are your babies too and I I get tearful just thinking Mm. about that sentence but that sentiment made so was so wonderful to hear um and and I think it's it's almost the people that said nothing that did nothing that didn't acknowledge what had happened to me that was the hardest to deal with because I know I shouldn't have interpreted that way but it almost felt like they didn't care I think I'm sure what was going on was that they didn't know what to say and they couldn't handle it exactly they couldn't they couldn't they thought well if I can't make it better then what's the point of me saying anything I might say Mm. something wrong or I'll make it worse yes and they don't realize they can't make it worse that's the thing they they can't make it worse the worst has happened yeah you know, I think that's really important. I'll tell you something I, I've just realized that we haven't talked about that I think is really, really helpful is to acknowledge the father and the dad, the, the, the dad that was going to be always a dad and hasn't, you know, got a baby. And quite often women are inclined to, when it's baby loss, are inclined to think it's, it's, it's their loss rather than the father's loss as well. And certainly I, in, in the work I do, I always see both parents, even if it's only, for, well, seldom is for the first session only, but, it, you know, because it, it helps if you both learn to be able to talk about it together. You know, hear, hear each other in a, in a situation where there's a three. It's so much easier to say something that's really difficult to say when there's someone else sort of um, there to help you. 
will mm. support you. Mm. But I definitely think we must, I was thinking of the different fathers that I'm seeing at the moment, how much this all matters to them because they were their dreams. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Eddie often, was, you know, Chris's dream. Um, and he couldn't have loved him more, could he? Well, I read this terrible, it was awful statistic, about this really high statistics of, you know, marriages that, that break up, you know, relationships fall down after they lose a child. And a lot of that's because they don't communicate with each other. And men and women do grieve differently. And we were so, deter- I was so terrified that I was going to lose Chris as well as Eddie. And we were so determined to be there for each other, pick the other one up when the other one was down and... We were very lucky that he had time off work. He had extended time off work. And in those first few months, we really grieved together. Um, but I just remember, yeah, I just remember reading that statistic thinking, oh gosh, does that, that mean we're going to break up too? And I think you're right, Jen. We have to give that acknowledgement to dads because they were their, they were their, they're their dads, their dads. And we're mums uh, and uh, they're daddies. Also, I, I, I don't know um, factually now, but I think that statistic is not absolutely correct. Right. I think people like to think that marriages break up or relationships break up because it sounds like, well, that's what should happen, really, if something as big as that. But most relationships don't. A lot, a lot of people survive the loss of a baby and a child together because it can make you very close. Mm. Um, initially, most people are very close. When it first happens, you share this enormous event of birth and, and death very close together. And then gradually, men very often have to go back to work. I'm not saying women don't as well, but often women can have a little bit longer off. And then you can grow apart. But it's just that it's because of circumstances that you're apart. It's not necessarily that men don't still care and feel the loss. But they've got to get on with the outside world very often. And um, I think that needs to be acknowledged as well. I, I'm, I'm, I think certainly the women I see feel very fortunate that they can have a little bit of time off work because it's recognised. Some dads now get a little bit of time, but not much. Um, I don't know how you feel about that. I I feel actually that, you know, very often the reason they grieve in different ways is because, you know, a woman physically, after they've had a baby, um, needs to be sort of looked after. And I think very often men go into that nurturing role. Mm. You know, let's let's mm. just do the day-to-day. Let's try and make sure that everything's okay. And, and I definitely felt that for me and Ben, I, you know, he looked after us. But then about three months down the line, when I was feeling a bit stronger, he suddenly crashed. Yes. Because that adrenaline of having to mm. look after us in the immediacy mm. had worn off. And he suddenly sat back and thought, oh, my God, this has happened. And and I think it manifests itself in different ways, as we all know. You know, for him, he suddenly lost his confidence. He didn't want to go out. He didn't want to be around people. He didn't want to work. And, you know, it was something that he felt needed. And he, he got a lot of help from the grief counsellor we were seeing. So, I mean, I've got to say, I think that, in terms of my grieving process and certainly also in terms of our grieving process as a couple and even as a family having professional support from a grief counsellor was the most important thing we did because it showed us how to navigate something that we had no idea how to do I was so 
perplexed by grief and how it was making me feel and how it was making other people around me feel and how I should convey that to other people and the physical symptoms of it. it a bit like learning how to drive. I, we needed to be taught how to deal with it. And when I speak to people who are going through a similar process, I always just say, try and find someone that you can really engage with to give you that professional support. Because I do think, certainly for me, it helped in a way I never could have anticipated. I remember thinking, I mean, how's a grief counselor going to take away this grief? You know, the only thing that's going to make me feel better is having my baby. And no one can do that. So what's the point? And yet it, it was unbelievably helpful and I would not be sitting here talking in the way that I can talk communicating with my children about their son their about their their brother in the way that I can now had it not been for the professional support that mm. I got mm. I mean, it, it, I mean you, this is obviously what you do so yes, um, yes how easy is it for people to find that support um, it, it's not and, very easy mm. I have to say it's not very easy um, I also think that um, it's important to realise that there are people that can be very, very helpful in your life that don't have to be highly qualified and trained. I'm slightly um, against thinking that grief has to be, you know, um, a, an illness <laughs> or it has to have somebody who is, you know, expert in that particular way of looking after your grief. I think that if we could make people, enable people just to understand grief more, I think that would be very helpful. I also think there are a lot of people that are naturally really good at it. Um, I've started to take people with me when I see families just to help them learn how to be because they can then observe and see what happens and it's not quite so frightening. Um, I also, yes, I, f I feel quite strongly that we do need much more support and go to your GP if you can possibly go to get some support. Ask the GP where they would recommend because certainly in our area, I get lots of referrals from the GP surgery. So go to a GP who maybe will have a list of a, of a counsellor who's got some grief experience. And what exactly should people, who should people be seeing? Because obviously there are lots of different terms and lots of different people with different qualifications. But for a couple who've recently lost a child, who, is it a grief counsellor? Is it a psychotherapist? Is it, who do they go and see? What would be the best person to go and see? Uh, well, I don't know that there's a best person in terms of training, but I do think that you want to look and, check that they have had some experience of helping someone in grief so it, a bit, it needs to be some with counseling training um, if you're going to go professionally to see somebody um, I don't I don't believe that it needs to be um, a certain type of training I think there are lots of different ways in which we're trained all, most of my colleagues that I know have all had different training um, but the most important thing for me was to actually have counselling for myself. So to find a counsellor who's done that, hasn't just done a counselling course that might look very good, but didn't actually have to look at themselves at all, might not be quite so good. If you actually ha do a counselling training, that part of the criteria is that you have to have counselling for yourself, which I had to do over the three years I was training, it was an invaluable 
lesson because I learned all about myself, stuff I didn't really even know. I also learned what it's like to go and see somebody and think, I don't know what I'm going to talk about today or I wonder if I dare say this about myself. You know, all those things that you worry about. It's helpful to remember that when you knock on the door and go and see someone. I Invariably, if it's a loss of a child, I'm fortunate. I work for two little charities now. One is the Angus Lawson Charity, and the other one is Rosie's Rainbow. They're both charities that I do give some t- time to. But they actually allow us to, um, ha- or allow me, to go and see people in their own home initially. So if someone has lost a child, I would go and see them very much like I did with you. Yeah, I was going to say, actually, I was just, we were so fortunate to have Jenny as our counsellor, our bereavement counsellor. And, and, you know, and Jenny, I do credit you for all the support that you gave us because I, and I call Jenny our fairy godmother. I mean, she, you were just amazing. And you really did help us get through those dark days. And I used to just look, it's the only thing I looked forward to was actually having my session with Jenny. And the fact that you came into our home and we weren't in a sort of clinical setting or mm. cold room. It just made it, I think the environment is so important for yes. parents to, ha- to have you in our home. We were in the living, it was just much more comfortable for us. And I just, I think that's what puts people off getting support sometimes, going into a clinical setting. Well, especially, I think, especially dads. So yes. dads often, if I, if I say, well, I'd like to see you both, because that's how I work. They say, oh, okay, well, just this once. And I say, yes. And then I meet them. I meet them in their own home. And normally it's dad that goes and gets his briefcase and gets the diary out or his iPhone out to look at the calendar for the... And I only I see people once a month. I don't see people weekly. So it's not like counselling that where you help someone look at a problem in their life that they're going to manage and fix. It's about helping people understand their loss, managing their loss. I love that word. I much Mm. prefer managing to coping with, because you have to manage it. It's so overwhelmingly difficult, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So just helping people see that they're normal and that the grief is normal and they will get through it. as I think really, so I don't stay, I don't normally see people at home for very long. They normally, I see them at home to start with because that's, especially if it's been a very traumatic loss. And then uh, they will usually come to me. So I see people in my own home. Um, but I'm, I'm very part-time now. Um, I'm enjoying life, not being full-time. And it's hard sometimes saying I can't see anybody at the moment because... I've got to be limited in how I, I manage this. So I wouldn't want to give false impressions that I've got lots of free time because I don't have. But if you're looking for a counsellor, try and find someone that has had counselling experience and they've been in counselling for themselves. And you can always ask when you get an, you know, look at the British Association of Counselling, ask the person you, you look up. So I just wanted to say something on, on the support side, um, Jenny. I think what was really important for us is that when you are grieving, it's very, um, you're going through, that you, you feel very confused, very lost. It's very bewildering. And I think what was so good about having counselling support is that you would say to us, all those feelings are totally normal. And I think that's the thing, you think you're going mad when you're, when you're in deep grief. And you would say to us, you know, these feelings are totally normal. You're having a very normal reaction to a very abnormal event. event. 
And I think just hearing those words from Jenny was just so reassuring. And actually, that's and, and that is why I think it is so important to get that support. And if you can't get support from a counsellor, you can get befriending support. Mm. Um, yes, there's a, there's, right. a, there's amazing befriending support out there, and that what is befriending. Support? So befriending support, they're not necessarily a qualified counsellor, but they have been trained um, to be a good listener and to be a befriender. They wouldn't be able to call themselves a counsellor. There are charities like Cruise that offer that support, and it's free. Um, you can also contact charities like the Lullaby Trust and Sands, who offer support groups and telephone support and and it's a befriending service and then the other thing you can do is just by you know we we've got the advantage of social media today where social can do good um and there's a lot of support groups on facebook and on instagram so you can actually get in touch with the wider bereaved parent community because as we know bereaved parents are the only ones that truly know what it's like to lose a child and just by speaking to them can be very comforting yeah, I mean, we've had, we've, I've talked to people about how social media is really pernicious for our children, mm. but I think it also can be an amazing force for good. Mm. And when it comes to bringing slightly disparate communities together, like, you know, people that have lost children or people who've lost children to specific issues, like, you know, how you were saying earlier that there are so few children that, um, that, that suffer from SIDS, that actually it is occasionally so good to have that, you know, that shared experience yeah you know after you've given birth you're all in touch with your antenatal group and you become great friends i see this the whole time you know so a year later by the time it's their first birthdays they're all as thick as thieves because mm. they've had this shared experience mm. in the first year of a child's life and when you lose a baby you're suddenly cast out of that environment you know they feel uncomfortable you feel uncomfortable and you've got no one to share the hardest journey with at all which mm. is why having that support is is so important did you did you reach out did you find a community of shared experience um i did in the end on facebook there is a closed um bereaved parents group on facebook who had lost their child to sids and i was able to talk to them and then i would sometimes i think what i mean i remember you know sometimes you meet people in the most un unusual circumstances chris and i decided to go away for a weekend to cornwall um and I, you know, I remember we said we're going to go away, and, and and as we know, grief travels with us. So it's not like we were going away, and then suddenly we'd be okay. And we went to this hotel. It was a boutique hotel. It was a, a it was it was specifically for adults, so no children were allowed. And we thought, brilliant. So we're not going to have the risk of seeing babies or children. And I started chatting to um, the owner of this hotel, and she was so lovely. And we just instantly connected. She was just someone we just we got on really well, and she was just lovely. And and then she asked me why we were here and I and I explained why we were there and it turned out that she had lost a baby to SIDS and it's just amazing you know just in just from us going away and then we just met so, so I'd say sort of serendipitously because it was just you know I wasn't expecting it and and what was so lovely was that after we left we stayed in touch through email and by phone for a good sort of six months afterwards and I knew that I could contact her if I wanted to so Sometimes it's about meeting people in the most unexpected of places. And being brave was, enough to tell her yes. that while you were there. Yeah. Did it cross your mind when she asked you to say, oh, it's just a little mini break. We've had some tough times and sort of leave it at that. Or well, I think so. she started telling me her, she didn't tell me initially what happened, but she started telling me that she before she, I said, what did you do before you 
ran this hotel and she said she lived in London and she was trained to be a psychotherapist. And I think actually as soon as she said that, I thought, well, she's going to be compassionate <laughs> and understanding. And so I, and I just felt at ease speaking to her. Um, and then and then from there, I, I was able to tell her. And I think that's the thing as 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 I sort of, you know, we were, asked, we were talking earlier about, you know, how do we break it to people when they ask if we've got a child? And actually, I love talking about Eddie. I think it's really important, you know, for me, it's, it makes me feel good being able to talk about Eddie. So actually now I don't mind the conversation because I, and, and if people ask me how many children I have, I'll always say I've got two living children. But very sadly, we have one child that, that died when he was only three months old. And it's really important for me to talk about Eddie and to, as we, as we said earlier, it's to give that recognition. And tell people and that tell you people. like to talk about him. Yes. Because that's what they're worried about. Mm. So if you say, well, we had a little boy that died when he was three months and I love talking about him, they will immediately feel relaxed and not worry about you because you're actually giving them that information. Mm. But people, you're absolutely right, people are terribly worried about hurting you and making it worse. Mm. So they don't ask and they don't want to know in case they say something that's not helpful. But you yeah. can say, you know, if, if there's anything you want to ask me, that's, that really pleases me. Mm. I'm, I'm, that makes me happy. But it's funny, isn't it? Because people think if I mention their name, if I, if I say, you know, if I bring that, the baby's oh. name up, I'm going to remind, I don't want to upset that person and I'm reminding them of the pain. And actually, just because they haven't mentioned him doesn't mean that we're not thinking of our baby and we're not grieving. Oh, you've reminded <laughs> me, you've yes. Reminded me. Oh, yes, I've, you know, <laughs> totally forgotten that my child died. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Um, uh, I, I think you're absolutely, I mean, I, th I think that by confidently talking about Willem, I'm signalling to people that... I want to talk about him and that he's alive in our thoughts. And it's something that we as a family talk about. And I'm sure, I know that I've got friends and, and people who observe the way that I've handled this grief. And they think, you know, she talks about it too much. I mean, she's constantly droning she's on about baby loss. <laughs> but actually, and maybe I would have thought that too, have mm. I not experienced it. But ultimately, I feel that I need to be the best mother to my children. I need to be the best wife to my husband. And I need to cope with my grief in the way that I best can. And for us, that is talking about it. That is celebrating Willem's birthday. That's talking about him to the children, making sure that he might not be there in person, but he's there in our thoughts. And I slightly think people can just deal with it. Well, it's their problem if they mm. can't. It isn't yours. I think that's really important. I think sometimes people do get upset, but they need to go and get some help mm. because it's not... You know, it's not their problem. It's, it's, it's yours. And if you deal with it in the way you do, and I think how lovely to hear you that that's how it is for your children because so many little children and older children need to have parents that can cope with grief and can talk about it and can say, you know, we had, you had a brother, you had a sister, what, whatever it is that we remember. I think people need children need to know that when somebody dies in the family they're important you don't just lose them you know they they matter and I think for children that really matters so I like and using real words like you know our baby died mm. or your little sister or your little brother died or you know those are really helpful words because children are all right around grief they're not nearly as frightened of it as we are 
And it's if they know, they need preparation if they're going to see somebody that's died. We haven't talked about that, about the importance of being able to hold and see your baby as much as of it as you can. Undress it, look at it, if you can bath it when it's been born and died. You know, it's so precious, those memories, if you can have those. But actually just for children to know that, you know, um, it's all right to talk about a mummy's baby or daddy and mummy's baby that died. It, it's all right. And they won't be worried about that in the same way that we are. I think that is a really interesting thing. I remember my, my sister's a GP and when, when Willem died, she said, I really think you need to hold him. And my instinct was, oh, dead bodies, dead baby, mm-hmm. cold, grey. Oh, God, this is going to be awful. And even my parent, my mother said, oh, do you really need to do that? And my sister was very insistent. And I was very lucky because I trusted her implicitly. And I did that. And I'm, I'm really, really glad I did. Um, but you know, there is an instinct, you know, we have a sort of fear, don't we, of oh, death of course, and, and dead of bodies. Course. I mean, my experience was that he was him and it wasn't grotesque in any way. It was just the truth. And not seeing him would have been so much worse. People I know who have not seen their baby have so regretted it. I'm look, talking about a long time ago, but, you know, because you make up what you don't see and you make up something worse if you think, oh, he was dead or she was dead and what you imagine what they might look like. Well, most little babies look really lovely. Even when they've got something wrong, they look lovely. Mm. You know, they don't look grotesque at all. Um, but it is frightening. People are frightened of death mm. and... Um, it needs gentle handling, and it certainly with children needs preparation. If I ever take a child in to see someone who's died, the preparation I put into that is much greater than you might imagine because they need to know what's going to happen, what the person is going to look like. Obviously, if it's a baby, they don't have a lot of connection with it particularly, usually, especially a newborn baby. They don't grieve in the same way as adults do around a newborn baby because they haven't had a relationship with it but if children are going to see someone who's died that they do know very well like a mum or dad they need to have very careful preparation and most of the children I see are really pleased that that's something they did otherwise they worry about what it was and what it was like and if you say oh no you can't see them what does that give you as an, an, an thought in your mind so we need to be braver in talking about it we need to talk about death we need to say that when somebody dies their body doesn't work anymore that's the most useful thing you can ever tell a little child or any child because that makes sense Mm. children like sense makes sense your body doesn't work anymore it's not that and usually it's better not to say that one part of the body doesn't work anymore because that might be worrying that that bit of them might not work at some point. Um, Jen, how you've obviously got two, well, you've got two more children who yeah. are one and three. Yes. Um, how much do they know about Eddie? Well, it's really interesting because I had a conversation with Jenny about this because we were terrified of telling Ollie, now that he's at an age where, I mean, Chloe's not really aware, but Ollie's now at that age where he is more aware and he's getting older. And we were terrified of how we would talk to him about Eddie because it's really important for us that he knows that he had a brother and Eddie is still very much loved and still very much part of our family. And 
I think Chris especially was terrified that we would be robbing him of innocence. And we had a really, really helpful conversation with Jenny, who said to us that Eddie is actually our grief. Ollie and Chloe never got to meet Eddie. And so they don't know a life with Eddie. They only know a life without Eddie. And they'll be upset for us because they'll say, oh, that's, you know, we don't want mummy and daddy to be sad. We're upset that you're sad, but it's not their grief. And that actually made so much sense to us. Um, so, so we are speaking about Eddie, as, as Jenny says, is, is that, you know, he, I was even going to say that, you know, Eddie fell asleep and didn't wake up. But that was actually the worst thing we could possibly say, because then Ollie would then get terrified about falling asleep. So Jenny's absolutely right. We have to be very matter of fact. And we now say that Eddie's body stopped working, but he was very loved and he was, he's very missed, but he's still very much part of our family. And do you, does he have a grave? Do you, do you? We have a grave. I've always been very um, reluctant about visiting the grave too much because I've never wanted to feel that Eddie is somewhere else other than with us. And so for me, visiting a grave made me feel that he was there and not here. So I do go once a year to the grave, but I like to think that Eddie's with us every day and that's not a place that he's he's not there really mm. um but that's just my my way of dealing with it i just always believe that he's with me factually at some point though i expect you're going to be asked what happened to his body when he died i had a mum only the other couple of mondays ago who phoned me about that and just asked me how how was she going to tell her little one that his brother was in the grave in a grave she didn't want to make him frightened mm. of going to the grave because she loved going to look after the grave and taking him with her um and i said i think if you just if you if you do it gently and you just explain that when your body dies you need to arrange for the body to either be buried or cremated children are nothing like as frightened of it as we think they will be um, and providing we do it with not great long explanations and not flowery, but that's what happens. That's the truth. And it's really, and actually children from about five get quite interested in death. Mm. So you're not quite there yet. So as he gets a little bit bigger, he will be asking questions. And children need parents to be honest with them. They need to trust you. That if they ask you a question about, well, where is he? Well, he was buried and he's buried. He's been mixed with the ground, mixed with the earth. He's buried in a cemetery, wherever, you know. And we can go to it if we want to, and we don't need to if we don't want to. Sometimes mummy likes to go, sometimes she doesn't. You know, and, mm-hmm. and it won't put them off going, and it won't make them worried about it. I'd be very surprised if any child becomes, if the parents aren't. If the parents are worried about it, the children will pick mm-hmm. it up. It's also, I think, a series of conversations with your children because obviously yes. at three, this is just the beginning of a yeah. conversation and I see how I was lucky in that my grief counsellor said to me, you need to be totally honest with your four-year-old and tell him, you know, sit down and don't be afraid to cry in front of him. Um, at, but this is a conversation we often have and actually just this weekend we had a, con- a conversation around cremation but my son wanted to know practically what happens. Mm. How do they make, but how does the body not get mixed with the ashes from the fuel in the, f- I know a lot of things I 
couldn't even answer. But what I was proud of is that five years on, he's confident that he can ask me whatever he wants. And I think that was probably the most important signal I could give him, both of them, but definitely my son has more questions, um, that you can ask me anything you want and I will be honest with you and you mustn't worry about upsetting mm. me. And sometimes we will cry together and um, and that's fine too. It's not the end of the world. If anything, it's a it's a bonding process. You know, crying together with someone and hugging makes you feel closer than mm. ever to something, to mm. someone. And, and that's... It's sort of almost a privilege to have with your children because you mm. want them to be able to trust you and be curious and and know that you can deliver good news as well as, as bad news. Absolutely. And also to say what what's lovely when mummy feels sad is just come and give me a hug because you make me feel better. Mm. I think that's really helpful because children want to know quite what to do. Mm. They can feel a little bit like, well, what do I do? Mm. You know, and run and find the tissues. But you know, just come and sit on mummy's mm. lap or give me a hug. I like feeling your hug when I'm sad, you know, and it's all right for mummy to cry and I'll be better in a minute. And, you know, children cope with all of that. Um, but also that's a great skill for them to know, you know, further on, you know, because mm. you're not the only bereaved person they'll ever have to console. You know, they might have a friend who's who's gone through grief and if they know that doing something that's saying something that hugging them that showing them that you love them is the most important thing to do, which is teaching them the most important you know, lesson in life absolutely. about friendship. Absolutely, I agree. That's so true. And it's such a, it's a lesson that needs to be told and talked about over and over again. And I think that's why this sort of program is really helpful. I found arranging a funeral really, really difficult. Mm. I remember thinking this is just prolonging the agony. And I made the mistake of, of, sort of we came back because William was born in Austria and we came back and then I sort of thought well my whole family have to be there and Ben's family have to be there and then of course finding the weekend and it turned out it was sort of mid-October or even November by the time we we had the funeral and all that time I was dreading it and dreading it and I wish in retrospect we just had the funeral really quickly and got that over with but at the same time I think I under anticipated for me you know the the grave is actually a really important place, and we he's buried in in a churchyard um, in my near my parents' house in the country, and we're down there a lot. But for us, it's been a really happy place, and we'll often go for walks, and we'll always end up there somehow. And we'll have picked blackberries, or we'll have collected wildflowers, or we'll have you know put little chocolates on his grave, and it's just a talking point. But rather than being tinged with sadness, it's filled with happiness because we're always there in a happy mood. And I never anticipated how important that would be and if I if if my friends had said or someone had said don't bother you know he's gone don't bother with a grave I would have gone with that but retrospectively I underestimated how important it was mm. as a place for reflection for all of us mm. and a, almost a conversation point um, and I'm really glad that we do have somewhere to go because if we didn't I, we wouldn't be able to get that retrospectively mm. I guess you can always choose not to visit yeah. a grave if you find that that's not the right thing for you but if you don't have it then you don't have that option yeah mm. What do you do on, on anniversaries? Because I think that's the yeah. other big sort of reminder year upon year. So I think anniversaries and birthdays are so important um, because, and I think for our friends and family, I think a family as well, because it allows them to remember as well as us, to remember Eddie. I think the first year, I mean, it's all, you know, that first year of grief is so hazy, isn't it? When you sort of look back. And I think that first year I was just sort of going through the motions and actually the anniversary and the birthday blended into that first year. It wasn't like I suddenly felt any different on his anniversary or first year because I was just grieving so heavily each day. Um, 
but what we do to um, on his anniversary, we have a family lunch, and we now we have a tree that we planted in our garden, and it's a magnolia tree that flowers at, at, at Eddie's anniversary, and this year. Um, or the year that just went, we had um, so we have all our family who come and sp- and spend the day with us, and we had um, we had these pebbles, and everyone wrote a message and a message to Eddie, and then we all go outside and we put the pebbles under the tree, and that for us is a re- is a really important thing to do to remember Eddie, but as I say, you know Eddie's with us every day, and I remember and think about him every day, so I don't want that one day to be just you know oh well we'll just remember him today, um, but I think it's very important for family our extended family to be able to have that as well as for us so that's what we do i remember actually a lovely thing a couple told me they did on their first anniversary of their little girl's death they went out to some nice area where they knew there were some antique shops not smart antique shops you know lots of rubbish as well and they had a nice pub lunch and they went on this as a special day just being together remembering her and they found this little old picture in a shop that was all tatty and it had it's a little girl with a dog and they'd always wanted a little girl and they always wanted a dog so they bought it for two and sixpence you know no no cost at all but then spent some money having it made lovely and framed and it's in their hall um, and each year they buy something for their home that's something that's really nice that's like about her it's not like mausoleum it's always something that they really like i think that's that's also quite a nice thing to do Mm. a nice pub lunch and a nice walk and something where you remember that time you know you have to somehow make it you have to put effort into it to make it be kind to yourself Mm. whenever the going gets tough i think we probably are a bit harsh on ourselves generally as a society and when people are grieving just being kind but also being kind on yourself and encouraging i was talking to a friend of mine who's about to celebrate the first anniversary of her daughter's death and i just said do you think of something you've always wanted to do or really want to do and do it on that day Mm. because she would want you to do that she'd Mm. want you to be happy and um it's been so lovely talking to you both i wanted to talk a little bit about teddy's wish the charity Mm. you founded how helpful has that been i mean obviously you i know that you've helped lots of people not just by being honest about your experiences and, and coming here to talk today, but also um, you know, funding uh, research into SIDS, uh, neonatal death and stillbirth, but also providing these retreats that for grieving parents that both of you run. Is that, is that right? Both I don't run the weekend, no, but I, Teddy's Wish funds the weekend and Jenny and Nikki run and facilitate the weekend. Yes, Nikki Whitworth, who I work with, yeah. um, she, she and I run the group. So we have up to 20 people come for the weekend. Um, always with this, with Teddy's wish, it's around baby loss. Although the year before was children as well, wasn't it? Or the year before the they were year. young children, yes. But it's really special. We, we run it in a re- fabulous old faded glory house everyone has their own room we have lovely home cooking and people we facilitate it so that people have a chance to share their story learn about grief do some creative things all have an opportunity for a massage aromatherapy or reflexology and it's an absolutely wonderfully healing experience for some people who've never had any support at all 
So yes, we're very grateful to, we've done three years now, haven't we? And um, it's been a really, really worthwhile thing. People write for months and months afterwards saying, I'll never forget that weekend. And they make, they get in touch with each other afterwards. They make friends because of it. I think what's so lovely is that as we know, with grief as time moves on and life starts to creep back into your everyday life you have less time to grieve your lost child and I think the retreat is so important because it takes that takes you away from the day-to-day distractions of life and just gives you that special time just for you and your baby with other parents so you can you're connecting with other bereaved parents and your baby in a really caring and supportive environment without any of the, the busyness and distractions of life and I think that's what's very hard with time is that as time moves on you have you find that you have less time just to grieve your child and that's why I think the weekend is so important because support isn't just about the weeks and months that follow it's actually about the years that follow and We've had people come on the retreat at different stages in their grief. That's right. Yes, we have. It's so, and it's so important. So even if you've lost your child, it could be a year down the line or two years down. It, the retreat is still so important. Well, I've got to say, I know there's no solution to experiencing grief, but if ever there was the closest thing to a solution, I think the retreat sounds like the most wonderful um, mm-hmm. and proactive idea. So congratulations, both of you. And Thank you. especially to you, Jen, I think, mm. you know, I hope, Teddy's sitting there watching us and I think he'd be very proud. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you can find out more about um, Teddy's Wish. It's teddyswish.org um, and there's support on there as well so yes. people can find out information if they have lost a child. Yes, definitely. Thank you both. Thank you for thank having you. us. And thank you all thank for you. listening to another episode of The Parenthood. Uh, please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review. It makes a real difference to our listenership. You can also follow me. I'm at marina.fogel, where I often talk about grief and um, support people doing the same. But in the meantime, thanks for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>